Hi, I'm Ewan Blakey, Senior Pastor of Oasis Church. I hope this message gives you hope and helps you take your next step on your Christian journey. We'd love to invite you to come and see us in person at 10 a.m. on Sundays or join us live every Sunday on YouTube. For more info, visit our website, oasischurchperth.com. We're delving into the Word of God, God's Word, and we've been exploring it for the last few weeks. And the title of today's message is the question, Can the Bible be trusted? Can the Bible be trusted? Um, and I think in this day and age, there's a lot of shade that gets thrown out on the Bible. It's kind of looked at as an old, historical, maybe a little bit out of date, a little bit dusty. Don't know if we can really trust what it's saying. There's plenty of people in the church, the broader word church, that uh, would cast doubts on some of the stories that are in the Bible. Historically, we're not sure if it's true or not. And I think that it's worth us examining the Bible and making a decision for ourselves about what you believe what I believe about the Bible. Is it the Word of God or is it just a bunch of his random historical documents that have been put together? Is it useful just for history or is it actually useful for me? And that's the question that I want you guys to ask. But I, I want to start with this Word of God. And, and by the way, today we're going to be reading a lot of the Word of God together. It's going to be really good. So just strap yourself in. We're going to read it together. And I want to encourage you to read it with me together. In fact, first, um, first passage that we're going to share today, maybe it's going to be your memory verse for the week. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, and why don't we read it together, your word. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God is not just something that you can put aside as an academic document. No, it's something, it's a document of faith. It's something that you can lean on. It's something that you can walk upon and use it for your own faith journey. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And how many people know, too, that the Word of God, it's living and it's active. It's living and it's active. It's living and it's active. The Word of God will preach to you. It'll preach to you better than Stephen Furtick can preach to you. The Word of God, every time you read it, it will speak to you because it's living and it's active. And it's going to get right down to the bones it's going to get right to the core of you like nobody else can. The Word of God will preach to you. It's going to discern between the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So I want us to read this together. We're going to read it out loud. We're not going to read it out soft together. So can you read it with me? Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the Word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's what the Word of God can do for you. It's living and it's active, people. So we need to treat it like that and understand that it will convict you. It will speak to you and it will show you the way that you need to walk in. Here's another great verse, Matthew 24, 35. This is the words of Jesus. He says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. They are eternal words. 
So what I want to do in the time that I have left today is to give you seven reasons why the Word of God can be trusted. It can be trusted. It's a teaching message for you today, so you can keep your phones out and take a few notes. My first point is this, that the Holy Bible is historically accurate. Now, when historians use, you know, they have some kind of metric, they have a filter by which they can assess and judge whether a source can be relied upon or not. And they use three standards to prove if something is historically accurate. The first one is this. Are there eyewitness accounts? Are there eyewitness accounts? Well, if you're a Christian, you probably understand that there are four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Now, if you're going to be really particular about it, two of those people were eyewitnesses of Jesus' life. We've got Matthew, who was Levi, the tax collector, and we've got John, the Apostle John. Then we've got the, the Gospel of Mark, which was, uh, he wasn't one of the twelve, but he was following along with Barnabas and Paul, and he was learning a lot, and they say that a lot of Mark's writings came through his reflections talking to Peter, who was one of the twelve. So we're doing pretty well so far. We've got some eyewitness accounts. The second point is this. It must be recorded and copied with extreme care. And fortunately, the Jewish people all throughout history were extremely good at writing and copying notes with extreme care. And they, someone told me recently that they, not only when they copied out, you know, because they didn't have photocopiers back then, or any of those sort of devices. So they had to write down the original and they had to copy it out. And so they didn't even didn't copy words, they copied letters. That, that's how particular they were, letter for letter. And if the letters didn't match up, they did a letter count. If the letters weren't the same, they'd scrunch it up, throw it in the bin and start again. It was really important. And it's so interesting that we actually discovered, not we, I'm not talking about myself, but in 1947, because I wasn't alive back then, but in 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. And it was a real breakthrough because as they looked at some of those documents that were written, they matched up so perfectly with the surviving accounts like the Pentateuch, the Old Testament that was written already. So we can tick that one off as, as well. And the third one is there needs to be archaeological confirmation. So much of the Old Testament can be cross-referenced with other uh, advanced cultures that were around at the, at the same time as the, um, as the Israelites. So we've got the Egyptian culture, we've got Assyrians, and we've got a bunch of other cultures, the Persians, that were around at the same time. And there are writings from some of those old cultures which describe or talk about the Israelites. In fact, one example was King Hezekiah, who was one of the Judean kings who actually had to give golden tribute to the Assyrian king and there are, there are writings there from the Assyrian side describing what happened. So we have all of those three things that we can say, yes, the Bible is historically accurate. My second point is this, that the Holy Bible is scientifically accurate. And I know that we put a lot of, lot of weight on science these days. We love the science. Where's Jimmy right now? We love the science, don't we, Jimmy? We love it, but we can't rely everything on science. In fact, we can lean too heavily on science if we're not careful. And if we look back through history, there was what they call the age of reason. 
in the 17th and 18th centuries, people started to question whether or not the church really had it right. And they started to formulate different ways of thinking, different ways of philosophy, different ways towards science. And this age of reason or this age of enlightenment, as it was called, began to lean toward, well, hang on a minute. Let's not just believe everything we hear. Let's just wait until we get the information. Maybe we'll just rely on what we see and what was tangible, what we can actually measure and, and taste and touch, which is good. I, I'm not saying those things are wrong. But if we lean too much on that, then we're saying it's not about faith anymore. No, it's just about what I can measure. But how many know that we walk by faith and not by sight? We walk by faith and not by sight. In fact, God always calls us, blessed are they who believe without seeing and they who see first and then believe. We need to understand that science also will evolve over time. Science is always changing. The, the cold face of science, it's not a concrete space that never changes. In fact, if you were to look back at your primary school science books, you'd probably snigger a little bit about some of the things that were written down, accepted as fact. Now they've been brought into question because there's this ongoing revision, if you like, of what the accepted science of the day is. Science evolves over time, but truth, how many people know, will always stay the same. I'm going to give you a few examples of people that thought things were established fact, which over time gets revised. For example, thousands of years ago, people believed as accepted fact that the earth is flat. Now, we laugh at about that now. We go, everyone knows that the earth is a sphere, it's a globe. But people believed with all of their heart and mind, and they believed it was true that the earth was flat. But if they had the Bible with them, they would have looked at Isaiah 40, verses 22, which says that God sits enthroned above the circle or the sphere of the earth. Here's another one. The earth has to be held up. There were cultures, numerous cultures, in fact, um, that believed that there was some deity holding the earth up. In fact, the ancient Greeks believed it was this god called Atlas who, who bore the, the weight of the world on his shoulders. Their Hindu beliefs have the world being held up by an elephant, which was also underneath the elephant was being held up by a tortoise. However, if they were to read Job 26 verse 7, he says he spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. People used to believe that we could count the stars. They could be counted. There was a guy in AD 100 who said that there were 843 stars. That number has been gradually revised. Now, if you were to Google it, it says that there are 200 billion trillion stars. Estimated. But I know that in a few weeks' time, or maybe in a few years' time, that number will be revised because science is always evolving. Jeremiah 32, verse 22, however, says, The stars of the sky cannot be counted. In fact, there are you know, uh, scientists that believe that the universe is expanding, even as we speak. It's constantly expanding. All right, I know I'm going on. Here's another one. Too much blood makes you sick. So there was this practice in the Middle Ages that 
you obviously got too much blood in your system, so in order for you to get well, we're going to take some of that blood away. So they slap on a few leeches, or they, they would cut your veins so you'd bleed a little bit, and that was supposedly going to make you well. Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the body is in its blood. Okay, number three, let's move on. The Holy Bible is prophetically accurate. It's prophetically accurate. Do you know that there are more than 1,000 prophecies in Scripture? And there are 300 about Christ alone. It covers anything from that he will ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, that he was born in Bethlehem, that he will be from Nazareth, that he was escaped to Egypt. The last prophecy about Jesus was written 400 years before his birth. And have you, written, read, sorry, have you read Psalm 22 lately? It's a prophecy about Jesus Christ's crucifixion, written by King David. First line says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus quoted that very line from Psalm 22. King David, 1,000 years before Christ. I'll quote some of the other part of the psalm, but I encourage you to go and read it. He says, Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Isn't that incredible? Historically proven, this was written thousands of years ago, and then Jesus Christ, there was no historical precedent for crucifixion until the Roman Empire. And here we have it. Here's an interesting statistic. Someone who really likes odds and numbers did some research and they came up with this fact that one person fulfilling eight prophecies, the odds of that happening randomly is one in 10 to the power of 17. That's that number up there. That's one with a lot of zeros at the end of it. But we're talking about 300 prophecies about Jesus Christ. It wasn't just the week before. It wasn't just the month. It wasn't while he was alive. These are hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus walked upon the earth. How, how does all these things happen? How are these prophecies able to be written down so far beforehand? Well, 2 Peter 1 verse 21 has the answer. He says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And I think you can use that passage too to understand how the Bible was written. Because we say it's the Word of God, but obviously God didn't speak the words. He didn't write the passages. He inspired by the Holy Spirit people who wrote these words down. And isn't it incredible that God speaks, we listen, we can hear what he's saying, and we write it down. So many of those prophets had no concept of what Jesus was going to be like, and yet they wrote down with extreme accuracy his ministry and his life. Number four, the Holy Bible is thematically unified. The Holy Bible was written over a period of 1,600 years, in over one dozen countries on three continents by 40 people in three different languages. The Quran 
was written by one person, Muhammad. Confucius, the writings of Confucius, one author. The writings of Buddha, one, one person. It's easy to unify a, a passage, a, a, a series of writings, because one person's writing all of it. But when you've got so many authors over such a long stretch of time, for all of that to be unified seems like an enormous task. And yet, and yet, when we look at the expanse of the Old and the New Testament together, it is so unified. The theme is so clear and so strong. It all points to Jesus Christ. All of it, from beginning to end, every single book, every single chapter points to Jesus. I remember hearing this this line when I was young, that the Old Testament is Christ concealed and the New Testament is Christ revealed. And even Jesus said in Luke 24, 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, that's Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Number five, the Holy Spirit, sorry, the Holy Bible is trusted by Jesus. He says in Matthew 5, 18, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus Christ, he lived by the word. He was, so, he was passionate about the word of God. If you get him into a corner, he'd probably chew your ear off about how much he loved the word of God. He loved it. He lived by it. He was there to fulfill, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So everything that Jesus lived by, in fact, if he was ever arguing with the, the uh, Pharisees, the teachers of the law. He wouldn't just argue with his own words. He would use the basis of his argument with the word of God, with the Torah. He would use those words as basis of his argument because he believed in it. So I guess the, the conclusion that we must come to, if Jesus believed in it, that it was so sound, if he, he stood on those words, then we must also, as disciples of Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you must understand that they are your words too. You must live by them. If you, you can't just follow Jesus because I like Jesus and not the rest. No, you must accept it all. This is his words. These are the words that we must live by. Number six, we're getting there. We've got seven, remember, all together, so we're getting close. Number six, the Holy Bible has survived all attacks. Why is it attacked? Because it's the Word of God. It stands diametrically opposed to all the wisdom of the world, to all the smartness of all the most cleverest of all the people in the world. It just is so distasteful. It's the foolishness. It's foolishness to the wise. It just makes no sense. And so it's pushed away. It's rejected. It's, but how many people know the Word of God still stands? It's going to be attacked in the future. It's been attacked ever since the beginning of time, and it will continue to be attacked. So many movements have arisen to declare that the writings of God are a waste of time. In fact, Voltaire, we talked about earlier, I talked about the age of reason. He was one of these reasoners, one of these enlightened people. He said that with, he was in the 18th century, he said that within 100 years, the Bible will be forgotten. Well, here we are today. It's still the word of life to us. 
an, 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 an interesting twist of fate that after he died, his house was bought by the French Bible Society and used as their office. <laughs> thought that's quite clever. 1 Peter 1, 24 to 25 says this, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. All right, this is my final point. And then we're going to read some word together and we're going to make some declarations together. The Holy Bible has life-changing power. And I've gone over this a few times today. It has life-changing power. The Word of God isn't just words on a page or on your phone. It has the ability to actually change your life. John 8, 31, 32 says, and this is Jesus talking, If you hold on to my teachings... You are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. His truth will set you free. But we need to be wholehearted about it. We can't half commit our life to the Word of God. We can't half commit our life to Jesus Christ. We must be wholehearted with the way that we approach Him. Just like David talked about worshipping the Lord with all your heart. And Jesus said, the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, with everything that you have within you. If you want something to work, then you have to go all in. You have to be all in. And I want to encourage you, and this is why I say to you, you know, from the top I've said, it's really important to read the Word, to read the Word, to get into a habit of reading the Word. And I would say, read it on a daily basis. It's so much easier to form a habit if you're doing something every day. If you're doing it once a week or once a month, oh, that's right, I forgot that week, and then two weeks goes by or three weeks. But if you're doing it every day, if it's part of your daily routine, it's so easy to remember to do it. And I think a few years ago, I just said, okay, that's it. Because I was picking up my phone, and the first alarm goes off, turn my alarm off, uh, Facebook, or not Facebook anymore, Instagram, TikTok. Whatever, whatever the thing is that distracts you, the news. And I thought, hang on a minute, I shouldn't really be doing the first th images that I'm looking at, the first thing that I'm digesting for the day. I really need to be digest digesting the Word of God. So I made that decision. Okay, where does my finger go? Which app do I press on when I first open my eyes, apart from turning off the alarm? It's going to be the Bible. So I'm, I'm going to read it. I'm not going to read it for hours but I'm going to read it. That's going to be step number one for the day. Just like for Anna, who's in year five, she's got a list on the fridge of things that she's got to do in the morning before she goes to school. That's my list. <clears throat> step number one, I'm going to read the Word. It's going to be part of my daily routine. And I think that's really helpful. And just so you... I know, I know we sort of think, oh yeah, but it's all about grace, it's not about works. But we're not doing this for brownie points. We're not doing this to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. We're doing it for nutritional value. We're doing it because it, it feeds the soul. You know, if I go and have a delicious steak meal, I'm not going to feel so proud of myself for eating a steak meal. No, I walk away from that going, mmm, that was delicious, I really enjoyed that. And I know it was good because I feel like it's, it's been good nutrition for my body. So in the same way, you eat the Word. You eat it. Let it go down. Let it nourish you. Let it be the, the good stuff that feeds your soul, not the thousands of other distracting things that you can take in and absorb in your day. 
So this is what I want us to do, and uh, while the musos come up, um, what I want us to go through, some of the scriptures that we've read, we're going to read them together, we're going to read them out loud. And I think there's something powerful about uh, the Anglican church. When I was younger, we were part of an Anglican church for a little while, and you'd open up the prayer book, and, and you'd all read it together. And I, some, I think there's something very unifying, very powerful about reading the Word of God together. This Word of God that we can put to one side because it's so familiar actually has power to transform your life, actually has power to change your life. So could we all stand? We're going to read um, a selection. There's nothing in there. There's no tricks in here. I'm not going to embed fine print that you're going to fall over. I think you can trust me that this is the Word of God. We're going to read it together. And I want you to read it and allow the Word of God to do its work in your life. Okay, we ready? I want you to read with me. I believe that your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I believe that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. I believe that your words, Lord, will never pass away. I believe that the words of God are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. I believe that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of God endures forever. I believe that the Word of God points to Jesus Christ as the focus of all creation. I believe the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.